You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Part two of our conversation. We're going to start off today in Matthew chapter 9, verses 11 through 13, and we're going to work our way through that, all right? So now stay with me, if you will. Uh, if you have your version app, a lot of these notes are going to be pretty much cut and pasted in there because I wanted to make sure that you had information. I'm going to talk a little heavy, but I hopefully I'm not going to talk in big talk, right? I want, but, I, but I want us to think theologically. So um, if, you're, if you're there, wherever you are, say, think theologically. Okay, and what I mean by that is I want to think deeply into the purposes of God. I want to think deeply into the purposes of God today. That's what I want to invite us to do. Matthew chapter 9, verses 11 to 13. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, what does your te- why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. Go and learn what this means. I want mercy and not sacrifice. I didn't come to call righteous people but sinners. A lot we could say about this text. I have spoken on this text probably more times than I can count. But here's the thing. We talk often about Jesus as our liberator, our freedom giver, our liberty maker. And our need for liberation. Why is that? Well, because of something Paul says in Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 verse 17 and then 20 verse 21. Now this section of text is best understood within the whole context of Romans. Particularly Romans 3 through chapter 5 into chapter 6. But we don't, you know, we don't have time for that. So I'm going to highlight the verses. Romans chapter 5 verse 17. Since by one man's trespass, Paul says, he's talking about Adam... Death reigned. Everybody say death reigned. Okay, death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man that is Jesus Christ? But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more so that, listen to this, just as sin reigned through in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's saying there's a reign of sin and death, where sin and death rule, and there's the reign of grace. The reign of sin and death comes into the world through Adam and has pervaded every corner of human history. And the reign of grace breaks in through Christ. See, we long for freedom. To live, speak, and act freely. We long for liberation. It's, it's a deep desire within our souls and our bones. And the reign of sin and death at work in the world manifests itself in concrete ways inside each of us. Paul also calls this the flesh or the sinful nature. But it also reigns in concrete ways in society. Paul calls this in scriptures the principalities and powers and rulers of this age or what John and Peter call Babylon. See, the reign of sin and death in us, in us and in society works hard to seducing us into believing that somehow the freedom we long for can be found either in ourselves, 
in other relationships, in our own actions, or through some nation state of a better government or law. And though it's true that we play a role in securing certain freedoms that make life better for us in some ways through those means we just talked about, it's a mistake to think that these freedoms are what we're actually looking for. See, when I start believing this, I think of Christian history. I think of Christians living in oppressed countries that I've met personally, who no doubt would enjoy the freedoms we experience here in the United States of America, but yet already possess such a deep inner freedom that it transcends the external. Nonetheless, we all long for freedom, and we will, no matter the price, pay whatever the cost to have the freedom we're looking for. And beloved, this is the trick of the devil and a tactic of the reign of sin and death. See, with the Paul, what, what, what the Apostle Paul refers to as the reign of sin and death is a systemic description. Everybody say systemic description. It's a systems description, right? They have not just the human condition, but the social condition too. So it involves the human condition and the social condition. And it's the realm of human existence where violence and fear is both justified and exemplified. It's where power is most often expressed through force and is capable of birthing injustice and oppression, whether it be in a family home, in a family situation, or in a relational situation, or a social, political, cultural situation. And see, this reign of sin and death is the place, stay with me, it's the place where I, or society, or you, where we become free to determine what's right, wrong, good, or just. And that's where the freedom of the reign of sin and death gets us where every man and woman gets to be their own little God, free to determine what they believe to be right and wrong. So we need liberation, for sure, from top to bottom of society and from the top of our head to the soles of our feet individually. Which is why Paul in Romans 5 points us to another reign at work. It's the reign of grace. This, too, is a systemic description of both the human and social condition that is made possible through the reign of Jesus. It's the realm of our human existence, beloved, where violence and fear is placed in submission to reconciliation and peace. Shalom. It's where power is still at work, but no longer through force. It's expressed through humble, self-giving love. It's the place where humility gives birth to generosity and hospitality. It's a place where faith is the light by which we see and walk in this realm. It's not a generic faith. It's a faith that rests singularly in a trust, not just a belief, that Jesus of Nazareth is Lord and King, and that as Lord and King, He alone determines what's right, wrong, good, and just. Because it's believed that Jesus is what God looks like, that God had so much to say that He could no longer say it in words on a page, but the Word became a person and showed us what God looks like. And those who live under the reign of grace, which is us, we're called to pursue humility and trust that there's no need to resort to the old ways of violence and fear. We've been liberated. So then our hope and our identity and our security rests in the kingdom that will never be in trouble. And those living here as citizens of this holy nation called the kingdom of God, not the USA, not 
Europe, not China, not Russia, no nation state, but the kingdom of God. Those living here have nothing to prove because Christ has proven it all for us and we can live in a posture of humility rather than a posture of defensiveness, which is where the reign of sin and death encourages us to be because we are learning to live loved and liberated where the reign of sin and death wants to hold us captive. See, we remain aware of the possibilities, beloved, that our brokenness from the inside out can be and is being healed. And those of us who live in the reign of grace, walking around in the midst of the reign of sin and death, every time we show love, compassion, hospitality, generosity, we then literally plant a signpost in the world that says the kingdom of God has come and is coming. We make the reign of Christ and the reign of grace tangible in the world. We become a forgiven community because we've been forgiven. We become a generous community because we've experienced the generosity of God. It changes everything. We need liberation into this kind of life, don't we? And only Jesus can bring it. It's ours through the finished work of Jesus. But once we receive it, we must live it. It's living in allegiance to Jesus' lordship, forsaking all other allegiances that we finally begin to experience this liberation, this freedom. Only when we forsake all other allegiances with the allegiance of Jesus. But here's the thing. Here's where I'm going this morning. That's just the introduction. Here's where I'm going this morning. In order to live liberated, we need to be healed. See, to fully experience liberation, we need healing. The reign of sin and death has inflicted real damage on us, on our family systems, on our social systems, on our bodies. There isn't a place the reign of sin and death hasn't touched and made sick. We are made sick, and the reign of sin and death is our sickness, spreading from heart to heart, mind to mind, body to body, from family system to economic system to political systems. The reign of sin and death pervades every part of human existence. We need healing for our sin-sick souls, minds, and hearts, and only Jesus can liberate us into that healing. And this is why, stay with me now, this is why I believe Matthew squeezes all of the healing stories in Matthew 8 and 9. Have you ever noticed? If you read through Matthew 8 and 9, that's where the healing stories are. Everything else is talking about something else. But in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, Matthew like pummels, boom, 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 boom. One healing story right after another. And these healings are given to us not only to show that Christ can heal bodies because he can and does heal bodies because I believe he does, but he makes a bigger theological point because remember, these documents aren't just history documents, they're theological documents. Matthew's making a larger point to these stories. And the larger point that he stored to this story, I believe, he sums up in Matthew chapter 9, verses 11 through 13, which we read. And in verse 12, when Jesus says, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. Beloved, the sickness that has infected all of us, that's where our deepest healing needs to come. The reign of sin and death has guaranteed sin's sickness in this world. And the reign of grace has guaranteed liberation from it. But hear me out, please. Every time we fall out of liberation and back into the reign of sin and death, we make ourselves sick again. See, it's called sin. And sin makes us sick. Now, I want to offer a way of understanding sin because all of us bring a lot of 
baggage to that word. I don't know where you've, many of you have been in terms of your evangelical faith, some of you that I do not know very well. But here's how I want to help us understand sin. Okay? Sin can be understood as a distortion. Everybody say distortion. A distortion of our whole selves, of our mind, body, soul, and heart. And that distortion leads us away from the goodness, truth, and beauty of God. See, Paul's word for sin is a Greek word that literally translates misses the mark or to miss the mark. And that's what it means. Sin, driven by the reign of sin and death at work in us and around us, leads us away from the goal, the mark of God's goodness, truth, and beauty. Something has happened to us that sends us on the wrong course, leading us to who we were never meant to be. It's a distortion of the whole self. Sin is, I think, better understood as a sickness rather than a legal problem. We need a doctor more than we need a lawyer. Now, don't get me wrong. The scriptures show us that Jesus is our advocate for sure. He is, in that sense, our uh, attorney, right, that handles our guilt before God. And in many churches, that's what we seem to talk about the most, that we have a guilt problem before God. And that's how sin is, is seen, is this thing that provokes this guilt problem we have. And so we begin to focus on Jesus as advocate, as a divine attorney who stands with us in the courtroom of heaven. There are sweet little stories and parables I'm sure you can scrub around and find on social media uh, that, that tell the story about having that courtroom scene. And Jesus says, no, I, I, I did it for him. And we see in the Hebrew scriptures, we see where God often does forgive the guilty, right? Like we need God to forgive and stand with the guilty. We see where, where God redeems Abraham for, the good, for good things after Abraham attempted to trade his wife's sexuality for his safety. We see in the Hebrew scriptures where Moses was redeemed for good things even after murder. We see even where David is redeemed for good things after he acted as a ruthless murderer, assaulting a woman and power-mongering leader. We could go on with both men and women how God redeems the guilty. If God can't redeem the guilty, then who among us can stand? We think of the Christian scriptures where Paul is redeemed from being this death-dealing terrorist based on his political and religious ideology. We thank God. We thank God for His redeeming love. Because if God doesn't redeem the guilty, then who among us can stand? Let's not forget that the Scriptures spend time Maybe even more time showing us that Jesus wants to do more than just handle our legal status. Jesus wants to liberate our lives. He wants to offer us wholeness and lead us into goodness, truth, and beauty. And I think that's what Matthew chapter 8 and 9 is trying to help us see. Jesus wants to also heal us. And if you pay attention to Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, Matthew quotes Isaiah 53. Let's read the text, Matthew 8, 16 through 17. That evening, people brought to Jesus many who were demon-possessed. He threw the spirits out with just a word. He healed everyone who was sick. This happened. Why did it happen, Matthew? Well, I'm glad you asked. This happened so that what Isaiah the prophet said would be filled. He is the one who took our illnesses and carried away our diseases. But beloved, let's look at the larger part of the text, Isaiah 53, verse 4 through 5, the section that Matthew quotes but doesn't finish quoting. Talking about Jesus, the prophet prophesies. 
that it was certainly our sickness that he, Jesus, carried and our sufferings that he bore, but we thought him afflicted, struck down by God and tormented. He was pierced because of our rebellions and crushed because of our crimes. He bore the punishment that made us whole. By his wounds we are healed. See, to assume that Isaiah 53 only speaks to physical healing is to miss the point. Also, to assume this text only speaks to spiritual healing misses the point. This text points to Jesus who can heal us from top to bottom, from the top of our heads to the soles of our feet, from the inside out. And Matthew wants us to see that here. Jesus wants to heal us from this sickness of sin. More than any physical manifestation of sickness, Jesus wants to heal us from the inside out and liberate us from the reign of sin and death. He wants to lead us toward goodness, truth, and beauty where we find liberation and healing. Jesus wants us to become as God intended. But we have to remember that every time we fall out of liberation and our a pledge of allegiance to Jesus to pledge our allegiance to something else, we fall right back into the reign of sin and death and we make ourselves sick again. And in that way, sin becomes our own punishment because no one gets away with sin. As Paul said, the wages of sin is death. We follow down the wrong course of life and we fall into all sorts of consequences. And I do side with the theologians who have said we are far more punished by our sins than for our sins. Sin wrecks our lives and obviously can wreck our eternity. It wrecks our lives and we need healing. Beloved, this is why we can't reduce salvation to a guilt problem. Yes, we're forgiven, but now what? The Spirit of God wants to heal us by the blood of Jesus that liberates us into wholeness. And so day by day, we learn what Jesus has made us to be. We learn to be what Jesus has made us to be, to be liberated. We learn to live in liberation and to experience the goodness of healing. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. The best news that I can give outside of Jesus himself comes this news. God wants you and I healed more than we want to be healed. Sadly, we have to recognize our need for healing. We have to recognize our need for healing and open ourselves up to it, even if it costs us something, even if it costs us a false allegiance, even if it costs us something, that's something that's usually the thing making us sick. I want to know why so many of our neighbors are so stressed out and anxious and sick. Because we are placing our hope and these notions of freedom that cannot truly free us. See, I think that's why Matthew in chapter 8, chapter 9, spends his time unpacking stories of healing. And I think that's why Matthew in chapter 8 spends his time, he spends his time introducing us into the healing stories by talking about a leper. See, we talked about this a little bit last week with the ten lepers, but I want to talk a little bit more about leprosy. If we see what Matthew is trying to help us see, we have to step back and look at the context. So here's the context. A leprous person may live 20 to 50 years, right? Depends on whether or not the disease came at birth or the disease came in the adult years, which could happen. And if it came in the adult years, then a person who 
received leprosy, who, who fell into leprosy, however it comes, would then lose every relationship they have. And either way, the remaining years of their life would be an indescribable mis misery. Their bones, their marrows, their joints would be infected with this disease, moving from one stage to another and would lead to a slow and certain ruin. I mean, the hands and feet would lose power and eventually begin to rot and the body would collapse in weaknesses and devastation and it would be hideous and debilitating, this slow and painful death. Beloved, you need to see that Matthew starts off with one of the most grotesque, hideous, debilitating stories to help us see that there is nothing too debilitating that God can't heal us from. Society wanted nothing to do with lepers. They couldn't want anything to do with lepers because they didn't know what caused the leprosy. Right? Like, well, how would it spread? So all lepers, all lepers in Jesus' day, all lepers were forced to live outside of the city, the town, and the village. Outside, together, in a colony or community of lepers. They were the unwanted, irredeemable few of society. They were, in terms of sickness and disease, the worst of the worst. They were the ones society would write off. They were the disposable ones. And yet of all the stories that Matthew begins with, he begins here, beloved. He begins here. Matthew 8, verse 1 through 4. Now when Jesus had come down from the mountain, so right after he gets through the Sermon on the Mount, he comes down, large crowds are following him, and a man with a skin disease, with leprosy, kneels before him, breaks all sorts of social protocol, right? And says, Lord, if you want, if you want... You can make me clean if you want. Nobody wants me. If you want me, if you want, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and, look at it, beloved, touched him. He said, I want to. Oh, come on now. I know I only got three people in the room, but come on now. He, he wants to. He wants to. There's nothing, nothing you have ever done. There's nothing anybody has ever done. I don't care what society says about it, there's nothing you and I have ever done. Jesus doesn't want to touch and make clean. Thank you, Kathy. Nothing. See, could it be that Matthew's trying to tell us a deeper story? Could it be that Matthew's trying to remind us that those society, including me and you, consider unwanted and irredeemable are exactly the people Jesus wants to heal. The members of our society that we have deemed disposable and have ended up displaced are the ones Jesus wants to heal. And no matter where you and I find ourselves in that narrative, Jesus wants to heal us. No matter who else is found in that narrative of unwantedness, of leprosy. Jesus wants to heal them. Liberation into the healing King Jesus brings leads us into the course of goodness, truth, and beauty. And that becomes our wholeness. So see, so I'm asked, I'm asked why I talk so much about God's love for the poor, 
the marginalized, and all those things. And I'm asked this, why, why do I talk so much about justice? It's because I know how great a liberating love we've been given. I know the new possibilities of a healing the Father has given us, given me and you. We have God in Jesus Christ. We have, we, we have Jesus, and all of this is actually possible if we would just live that way, right? Like, we do have to choose to stay off the course of missing the mark. We're going to have to say no to sin and false allegiances. We've been given the life. I'm about to come off my stool. We've been given the life that God has intended to give us in Jesus. It's been handed to you, beloved. It's yours. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. Go live liberated. But remember, remember, in your liberation, you are enrolled, enlisted into the liberation of others. The liberating love and healing that Jesus gives us isn't just ours to own. We have no authority of it. We are only witnesses. Too many of us want to be an authority. Not enough of us want to be a witness. Our responsibility is to receive it, to enjoy it, to rest in it, and to practice it. And to practice it means we have to set out to do what Jesus did, to do what Jesus did, to defend the displaced, to welcome the unwanted, to value the vulnerable, to plead for the poor, to hold the hurting, to support the sick, to watch over the widow, to speak goodness, truth, and beauty to the systems of power and end the death and resurrection of Jesus, renounce the disarming of that power. See, we know this. We know we can and we know we should. Because when I felt displaced, Jesus has defended me. And he still does. When I have felt unwanted, Jesus welcomes me. And he still does. When I felt vulnerable, Jesus valued me. And he still does. When I felt poor, he pleaded for me. And he still does. When I've been hurt, he's held me. And he still does. When I've been sick, he supported me. And he still does. And the same for you. And so, yes, because we, we know all about the reign of sin and death. But we also know about the reign of grace. Because we know about the liberating king who is more than an advocate, but also the divine doctor. Because we're being healed and experience heaven's liberation, we have committed to a life, beloved, we have committed to a life to learn how to defend the displaced because we are defended. We learn how to welcome the unwanted because we are welcomed. We learn how to value the vulnerable because we are valued. We learn how to plead for the poor because God pleads for us in our poverty. We learn how to support the sick because we are supported. We learn how to stand with the guilty because Jesus stands with us. We learn how to watch over the widow because Jesus has watched over us and we learn how to restore even the most reprobate, because we are being restored. And so let me be clear. Anytime a church stands in the way of any of this, that is a church guilty of sin. And that church is falling back into the enslavement of the reign of sin and death. And anytime a Christian stands in the way of these things, that is sin. But anytime a church is joined in this work of redemptive healing and liberation. It's demonstrating the reign of grace in the world. And it's a church who, like that one leper who did come back, sees what it's truly been given, falls at the feet of Jesus and worships. Every week we gather, we take the bread and the cup, and we remember the living hope of Christ, we remember where our healing comes from. We remember that Christ has set us free and that the world can't offer freedoms like Christ can, but we have to live into the goodness, truth, and beauty of God. 
You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 